0: Welcome to the Maritime Vision podcast, where we connect with industry experts to explore every facet of the maritime industry. This podcast is hosted by Paul Louis-Holy.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this new podcast episode. And today in this podcast, we are with Connor. Uh, Nice to meet you, Connor. Welcome to this uh, new episode. And thank you. Nice to meet you, so maybe can you present yourself, talk about maybe your background?
0: Uh, I'm situated here in the south of Sweden. I'm Irish originally. Uh, my wife and I have a, a small family business together, uh, assisting the maritime industry with transition. Um, previous to this, I worked for Maersk for many years on offshore in, uh, in management and also offshore uh, in the oil and gas field and uh, aboard ships before that. So uh, o- over those 30 years or so, I had a lot of different experiences, most of them operational. And uh, then uh, three years ago, I joined Sophia, and we are now trying to use our experience in the industry towards uh, helping it make a transition to a more sustainable future
1: That's interesting on, why did you choose to work in, in the maritime industry
0: well I grew up I grew up here uh, in the south of Ireland and you can see oh, wow. where I where I grew up I was faced with all these islands out here my parents uh, my parents had a yacht charter company down there That's so cool. I've been the sea on the CEO as soon as I was born almost. And yeah. um, uh, it's like a family sickness, you know. You end up uh, in the industry somehow. And like my yeah, grandfather was at sea, my father was at sea, my brother's yeah. a naval architect. Uh, whoa, whoa. So, oh, so, like so in the... some ways, you know, this is this can be a kind of a, something that goes through families. It's true. Um, and uh, there wasn't a great deal of, you know, there's not a huge amount of employment down where I grew up, and I was going to have to move somewhere, and I kind of, yeah ended up at sea, you know, it's, it's, it sounds great,
1: but, uh, Wow. Wow. Okay. This thing on the, I've seen on your profile, you worked, uh, with mask. Can you just describe a little bit, uh,
0: this expense? Yeah. So when I was in nautical college, there was a, <clears throat> there was a firm actually in the UK that used to come recruiting cadets for the various shipping companies. And, uh, we were, we were offered a, a, some different companies, you know, Um, they were presented to us to see if we were interested. And uh, I was interested in Maersk because at that time, Maersk had a lot of different types of ships, and I didn't really want to go solely in a shipping company that had oil tankers, for instance, Mm. um, or just ferries. So I chose Maersk, and through my seagoing career at Maersk, I worked aboard initially, actually bulk carriers that were carrying wood, which the company... I mean, uh, a business, the company left after that, but I was on container ships and row carriers and a lot of time on uh, chemical gas and gas tankers. Thank you. Okay. And uh,
1: so if, uh, why did you choose this uh, specific kind of vessels uh, because of the market was uh, very well, dynamic but... at this time?
0: I had no choice. Uh, the company, when you're training and when you're officer seagoing, you know, seafarer, you don't normally have a lot of choice about what type yeah. of ships you sail on. You are kind of told it's your job. Uh, yeah. You need you need uh, additional qualifications to sail on specific types of ships. So for gas tankers, you need a gas endorsement for your certificate of competency, and for oil tankers and for chemical tankers, and for Offshore vessels, which use dynamic positioning, or other vessels that use, use dynamic positioning, you need special courses and endorsements for that. So, um, okay. So the company, if the company, you know, kind of chooses you to sail on their gas tankers, they have to make sure you're properly certified, send you on a course, etc. Okay, okay, interesting.
1: And after my ask, uh, after this months, you you decided to become a consultant.
0: Yeah, so um, I ended up doing many years working offshore in a floating uh, storage and offloading vessel for LPG, uh, located in West Africa, and that was very interesting. And I I, <clears throat> I um, got some ship handling experience there, which was kind of pilotage, which was unusual. So I really enjoyed that, although it was terrifying. But uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then uh, I went ashore to to work in a specific body of Um, specific task in the office and I ended up staying there and I ended up um, managing the asset I used to work on and um, then the MERS divested all the energy business which is a process which is only really completing now but um, at that point uh, I was offered a position back in the container side of, of the company and on the other hand I had just completed an MBA and I was looking at really the purpose, what I wanted to do the rest of my career and, and my life. And uh, I talked to Sophia, we looked at some strategy, what we could do together. And we decided to go in together and uh, see how we could put our experience towards the industry for transition. And this is a very different. Yeah, that's experience. interesting. So. Something is very different. Yeah, I can but, see that. Yeah, but there are some things you bring with you, which, which apply everywhere. And one of them, of course, is... It's good, I think, to have many years working in a corporate or in yeah. a company which isn't a consultancy, and then try and consult to them because you understand their better chance of understanding their pain points and drivers and challenges. Okay, interesting. On the
1: what kind of uh, transition are you working on? I mean, the sustainability, the digitalization?
0: Yeah, so um, the shipping industry, for for from my understanding, is is going through all of this at the same time and um, it is trying to digitalize. And one of the interesting things about that is that the industry is not very transparent. And mm. One thing that uh, digitalization does is it improves transparency. Um, and a, a company which is digitalizing, which is a very broad word, uh, but a company that is digitalizing um, may decide to share some of the information, may decide to keep it in-house, may be forced to share some of the information. But we are increasingly seeing a strong connection between real sustainability, as in not greenwashing, but real sustainability mm. and increasing transparency. Mm. Do you
1: see a greenwashing in this industry right now? Or, or it's not yeah. as, for example, the car industry. I know greenwashing, this is everywhere, but in the maritime, time, is it something very common?
0: funny thing about greenwashing is it's kind of talked about like it's an intentional behavior, mm. but I don't think that. Um, so the drive, what's the driver for greenwashing? It's uh, largely uh, ESG, which is a financial term regarding exposure of risk to your, your uh, environmental, your social and your governance uh, behaviors. And it is usually seen in terms of risk with uh, a sideline of opportunity, and that's that's ESG. It's quite a cynical financial entity in in reality. However, we we, we would see ESG as a way of framing sustainability in, in the way it should be taken. Very so, serious. so a so if you say someone's greenwashing, they may have been looking at their ESG profile, finding it a little, little weak, and then they try to say, okay, well great, but what are we doing right? okay we're yeah. doing this good we're doing that good let's talk about it and then they talk about it and then they're told they greenwashing <laughs> and then they're yeah. like oh, oh come on you know so it's a little bit like um i think we have to be fair to to the people in the corporate positions who are trying to identify where they are because yes if that's uh right. the whole world is trying to become sustainable it's generally not sustainable yeah. and they're trying to figure out how to you know show the world what they really are Uh, and what they say may be largely true Um, they may leave out little pieces of information Um, like one good example is you know and we've since i've been working in this kind of sustainability area for the last three years you know i've learned so much you know i'm not a sustainability practitioner i don't have any qualifications etc so i've had to kind of absorb it as much as i can i have one qualification now but um you start to look at coffee in the supermarket and coffee is for example, you know, and they have all these little symbols on them, uh, rainforest Alliance and KLOV yeah. here in Sweden, which is a very good level of sustainability, etc. And then you look at the rainforest Alliance stamp on some of the packages and it says 30% rainforest Alliance. You know <laughs> but when you reach something on a shelf do you read all the small print and this goes back to transparency and the shipping industry has a little i think a little struggle i know we're this conversation oh, yeah. is be going off in another direction but certainly no, no. it's a very interesting side yeah, sure. to, to shipping yes.
1: on what do you what are you doing like to how can i say maybe to increase this uh transparency to yeah what is your your your
0: fight i can say <laughs> So that, of course, is just one part of our thinking. Um, uh, we are, we are. So that, that's, yeah, we're not digitalizers. We're not, say, uh, you know, this is not the core of what we do. Uh, mm. We are, we are looking at things strategically mainly. So, what can a given company do to, yeah, reduce their greenwashing? Speak uh, candidly about what they do. Uh, mm. Increase their transparency. Okay, that's that's a small part of it, but there's a whole range of you know, decarbonisation is being talked about all over the place in the industry. It's the big topic now. We of course We have 80 in July and uh, a huge effort going in that direction. But are you optimistic
1: oh. about it, about the future in terms of sustainability or are you like
0: completely pessimistic, like uh, it's a complete mess right now? I think on a global level, I find it very hard to be optimistic. Mm. And in fact, I think that... Uh, sometimes I think that it must be nice to be ignorant and to just carry on with life and see it as somebody else's responsibility but it's like we have a saying um, we have a saying offshore and on ships you see it you own it so that means if you're walking down the deck and you see something loose and it's unsafe or might get washed overboard or might cause injury you've seen it it's your responsibility to fix it even mm. if you don't do it yourself, you have to tell someone about it. Whatever. So the you see it, you own it is very much part of my okay, okay, my identity. So now that the more I learn about the sustainability, the environment, you know, everything attached to this, the SDGs, you know, it's like uh, oh no, you know, I feel responsible for it. You know, oh. I can't just go. Phew. That's uh, <laughs> so yeah. So I think that there is a big psychological demand on people who are aware of. Um, who are aware of the kind of condition of the planet and the way we're heading. I yes. am not, I find it hard some mornings to be optimistic. I read things in the newspaper. We subscribe to the economists. The economist is quite good in kind of tearing myths apart. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. True. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was recently invited to, um, a session with the sustainable ocean Alliance, uh, around dealing with stress from, uh, from okay. climate realization for instance okay. and I, I, th- I think that um i think that it's easy to dismiss my generation compared to yours and say oh well you know you're not going to be around to kind of have to deal with it much It's it doesn't feel like that to me at all uh, okay I have, I have kids and i'm really worried about them so
1: oh yeah I, i'm young and i'm very worried about the future to be honest with you every time i i try to to see oh. Where I need to to be, wh- what I need to do, because I know the future won't be as easy as now. You know, with, even with pension, I come from France, so right now that's the best yeah. uh, big yeah. deal. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, things very important, but um, I think uh, I need to stay op- optimistic because if not, uh, yeah, you always overthinking,
0: and that's not yes. the goal. Yes. Yeah. That's right. We need to stay optimistic and try to focus on what we're doing here and now, and do it best we can. Because otherwise, it, it can be. Yeah. Yes. On the to, to go straight to the point.
1: In your opinion, uh, what is the best me- measures we can do uh, to increase sustainability for the ten upcoming years in the maritime industry? Um,
0: I think that uh, a phrase I've heard uh, is um, we need to start having uh, grown-up conversations. Um, the There is no technological yeah. um, silver bullet. There is a raft of solutions emerging out there at the moment, and the... The one thing, and I think it, it was Remy Erikson, the CEO of DNV, said this a few years ago, and it was Sophia who remind, was reminding me of it, but collaboration is the secret sauce of, mm. of uh, shipping transition. Mm-hmm. And we certainly have seen that particularly cross-sectoral collaboration between the shipping industry and, like, vertically, uh, sorry, horizontally, um, and also they have the shipping industry has perhaps a unique way of contacting its its clients and its suppliers, which come from all kinds of like shipping intersects with every other industry. It is right. yep, over ninety percent of everything has been on a ship, right? Yes. So when you think about it, shipping has the ability to change to be a catalyst for a lot of other industries. Steel You know, cement, the mining industries, all those that are also trying to decarbonize. And okay, of course, it's like scope three for them. Shipping is scope three, it's their transport emissions. But they can get involved in these conversations and they can find points of shared value. And we have actually seen that, you know, firsthand. We have seen, oh, yeah, we'll talk to our clients about that and see if we can find some way where. We jointly can create a circular. So make a make a circular case out of something which is just wasteful at the moment, or um, yeah, you know, talk yeah. about greenwashing. You know, share stories, and you know, the, so one good thing about if you like greenwashing is it at least people are telling stories about the good they do. At least it's like, it's it's out there. You know, if you go back five years even, and you listen to the way the companies advertise, they're all they talk about is how sustainable they are. Yes, you know. Uh, so people are demanding it, you know. So I think that shipping the, for the next ten years, one of the most important things they can do is start to collaborate. They'll have to collaborate to to secure sources of alternative fuels. Mm. They'll have to collaborate to secure business cases for alternative fuels, like with the, green, the development of green corridors. They'll they'll have to collaborate with each other to share the the, the demand, et cetera. So I feel that changing the mindset. This very compartmentalized competitive mindset in shipping has to happen, okay. and you know regulation may force it to happen. Yes, because it's a uh, we talk a
1: lot about hydrogen ships, for example, or uh, solar panel things like that. But uh, it's still some prototype; it's not very concrete, I can say. But I don't know if in the in the next ten years it will be. Exactly, this kind of ship we will have or or something completely different because every day we have new technologies. Well,
0: I mean, looking at the purest form of alternative energy, putting sails on a ship is like the most obvious and straightforward thing to do. You get your fuel at source, it's free Mm. and it's constant, but people don't like it because it's variable. But in fact, we can predict wind better than we ever could, and we can route ships better than we ever could. However, it doesn't—you know—the sizes, the way that the way that we size the, and the way that we trade today is is not very compatible with wind. It's more that's why wind we're seeing wind as being a wind assist as an efficiency measure in that way. Okay, but and some people, when you talk about sailing ships, they they immediately think of square riggers, you know before, you know, the 1800s and before, and they they have a kind of a mental model of that. But it's not fair comparison. It's like comparing a modern Ferrari with, you know, with a steam car in in 1890. It's just a totally different concept. You know, we can make things sail way better these days. Uh, So so that's the most obvious thing. And then the other contenders, we have methanol, uh, which is made from biogenic carbon, and we have ammonia, which is made from, you know, from renewable energy. Uh, and then you have kind of other fuels like um, fully renewable uh, biofuels, which are like not uh, causing land use change, which are made from waste, et cetera, synthetic na- natural gas, et cetera. So there's, there's a lot of options there. And there's a lot of people with pens and checkbooks waiting to invest. But the problem we have is we don't have the signal from the International Mar- Maritime Organization, yes, mm. say, this will be the only way, you know, eventually by 2040, and it can, doesn't have to all come in like that. It can, it's going to be a separate direction. But so the people can say, okay, you know, we're going to sign up for this. We're going to, you know, invest a couple of billion or whatever, and in, in five years time, it will be producing, it will be, we'll be supplying it to, sh- uh, ship owners who have built the ships or converted the ships to take this fuel, and it is happening because the regulation is in place and it's it is the future. Okay. So we have to have this basic signal from the regulators and the policymakers to demonstrate exactly. this is happening. And so far, that's we it. have it from the European Union. We have uh, inclusion in the ETS, but that's actually that's part of a, a greater story. It's you know it's it's still there's still a lot more to be done. Yeah, sure.
1: And what about the lobbies? I mean, For example, you, you're talking about uh, sales, but the problem if we use sales, we don't use fuel anymore. On the country who produce fuel, maybe they are not agree about it. They, they, they want to, to sell the fuel to make millions, to make billions. It can be a very a big
0: challenge too, because some people don't like sustainability because of this reason. Absolutely. and. One of the barriers in the international maritime Organization is the the countries that feel that they will be marginalized and have a big disadvantage because of change to alternative fuels and they are very very valid um points the you know we go if we go back to the sustainable development goals seventeen goals you know climate change uh is one of them, and you mm. cannot none of them um operate uh, individually, none of them. You cannot just say, we're going to transition the shipping industry to low low carbon fuels, and that's fine. You can't mm. do that and disadvantage um, oh, human okay. rights and yeah. people's rights to power and education and economic development. And it has to be moved together. And this yeah. goes back again to what I was saying about collaboration. This is like so much more collaboration is needed sure. to make this happen together. Sure. interesting. Yeah.
1: So, mm-hmm. so do you want to add something else? Uh, something to say? Word of the end. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: we are um, we are slowly growing our company. We we will have someone else joining us very soon. Um, we we are at the moment we have an intern doing some short work with us uh and um we would be happy to to talk to people if they're looking for an internship if they've some specific but it would be good if it relates to their studies as in their thesis or something like that um we would be delighted to to work with someone who who would like to uh who would like to spend some time doing sustainability related work with mm. us okay so uh you're you're welcome to reach out So thank you very much, Conor, for this interview. It was very interesting. And I wish you a very pleasant day. Thank you. It was very nice to talk to you. I hope I was uh, of, yeah, some use. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Maritime Vision Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights into the maritime industry. Be sure to tune in for our next episode where we'll continue to explore the latest trends and developments in this fascinating field.